Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, Mr. Ethan, defender of the Lost Caverns of Ixalan, Sax. We've got 50 takes here for you, folks, and Ethan censored some of my takes. Can you believe it, sir? Do you yeah. have anything to say for yourself? Sorry, this is not, uh, there's no free speech on this podcast. <laughs> you will be reined in, and uh, if I have to be the one to do it, I'll do it. Look, your takes were, and, and these are your takes mostly, that I've, I co-signed. But I did have to, I think it sounds like you were doing some self-editing about your negativity towards the format. And then I, I needed to just cut <laughs> just a couple more down off the list. I'll give you some honorable mentions before we get into the list for sure. But we have to remember that you know not only is this a way for us to say goodbye to the format, and that's what we're going to be doing today, saying goodbye to Lost Caverns of Ixalan, though, truth be told, Ben said goodbye to this format <laughs> quite a few weeks ago. Good riddance, don't let the door hit you on the way out in those but, situations. <laughs> exactly. But I, I think we have to remember, as we often get lots of great feedback, this is something that folks are going to return to when they're like, oh, I haven't drafted the set, or I'm a little rusty on it. What's the quick hit I can get? And that's going to be the 50 Takes episode. So we, we want to keep it constructive here on Lords of Limited. Well, I feel like we also have a duty to inform our listeners that are coming back to this format. They're thinking, ooh, coming back to a format, piece of candy? No, you're getting a carrot or a piece of cauliflower. Like, it's edible. But like, does it taste good? Not quite. I, I don't know. I have no words. That's perfect. Candy, carrots, cauliflower. We have it all here on Lords of Limited. Ben, how are you? It's snowing outside in Pittsburgh. Um, it's quite cool. I've got myself, I'm, I'm all cozed up. I got slippers. I got a little Cool Stuff Inc. hoodie, keeping me warm. I am also repping the new Magicians Against Data Get Mad sweatshirt. Check it out, everybody. You need to get yours before MagicCon Chicago. Just like a pro podcaster, Ben stood up and got as far <laughs> away from his microphone as possible so he could show me the, the logo on his sweatshirt. That Listen, we're basically good. a YouTube show now. Get on That's YouTube, right. everybody. YouTube.com slash at Lords of Limited. There it is. There it is. Well, that looks great. How does it feel? It feels nice. It's kind of soft. I like it. That's great. I love to see it. What's going on? I really haven't talked to you this week. I know you were holed up in Fort Wayne. Yeah. So January is kind of crazy for band directing. It is. But it next is, week you'll have more time. Next, next month, I'll be less busy. <laughs> January January is a bad month. Uh, but yeah, we're getting students ready for solo and ensemble, some individual performances. Later today, my students have all state band auditions. So I'm helping a bunch of kids get ready for that. And then had transported kids to Fort Wayne um, for the music education convention where many of them were performing in honors groups. But I was in a minibus and it had started snowing. So I'm like tooling around Fort Wayne in a minibus, which is not great in the snow. Not a very fun experience. No, that sounds very stressful. Did you get to, you know, decompress with any Vintage Cube when you got home? Well, I would have loved to decompress with Vintage Cube, but Magic Online was down. Oh, the yeah. That I had free. I was like, oh, I'm sorry, world. This is my fault. I had free time. And so, of course, Magic Online is shut down. <laughs> that is brutal. It was a yeah. beat. And they gave, you know, again, shout out to Daybreak Games. They gave everyone um, like an all access pass uh, for a few days as a sorry for Magic Online being down. I was like, you can't give us another Vintage Cube token? Like, <laughs> I know. That's what I was thinking. Come on. <laughs> well, hopefully you had some LSV videos to to keep you company. I did for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've been playing a lot of Vintage Cube. I've been playing a lot of Explorer this week. There was a, an Arena Championship qualifier this weekend, and Explorer is the format for Arena Championship 5, which I'm qualified for at the end of March. So I was messing around with that this week, but I'm going to be excited to uh, to play some Limited soon. I'm really excited for Mirza Karlov Manor and really excited for there's an Arena Open this weekend that's Limited. So excited about that, even though it's Lost Caverns. Will you be playing in that, even though it's Lost Caverns? New. No. Wow. No okay, not a chance. I mean, says, I, so. I am free. I this, I'm done with this format. Done. <laughs> done. He says the prospect of two thousand dollars isn't alluring enough. But then Arena Cube will be back in a week, I believe, on the twenty third, which I'm also super excited about. So uh, a lot of stuff on the horizon here that will hopefully pry me away from the depths of sixty to eighty card decks. Yeah. So for the uninitiated, Explorer is like Pioneer, but not quite, right? Yeah, it's basically Pioneer on Arena and and just doesn't have a few cards that like really make Pioneer Pioneer, like Smuggler's Copter, not there, though. I'm not sure how much of an impact Copter has had. Bring to Light comes to mind as a card, but it's it's 
pretty close to Pioneer. And you feel like you've fully made the transition to Constructed Magic Player at this point? You've reached your final form? Yeah, I'm going to be starting Counts of Constructed. O- open, you know, uh, interviews, welcome. Um, you can find our, our email address. <laughs> no, I haven't made the, the transition. $300 about- an invite for your testing team. <laughs> um yeah exactly yeah good money well spent there folks yeah no i've made the the full transition i'm just i'm just doing my best look it's stressful i'm just gonna be honest like i was talking to someone yesterday about how you feeling i was like i'm feeling really kind of lost and like we're about a month out from the pt and like i don't have a deck picked and i feel like i need to lock in a deck at some point to sort of get enough reps in with it but also i assume you know lost caverns of Ixalan really shook up the format murders at karlov manor has just as much potential to do so you know like so there's a possibility that you know you get all excited about all right well it's this rock paper scissors thing and i have a deck that beats rock and paper and slightly loses to scissors so we're good and then like new cards come out and everything's different so i don't know i'm I'm just like i want the warm fuzzy feeling of you know sitting down counting out 15 cards and or 14 (laughs) cards sorry and rest in peace and And, you know just just cobbling together a deck with my peers on the fly just like magic was intended to be yeah you basically sound like a pro already to me you don't know what your deck is i'm sure you're gonna submit it like two hours before deck selection is due like I, i think you're ready Thanks, sound like a pro. (laughs) Thanks, I really appreciate it. All right, enough constructed talk. Let's get to limited. We are sending off Lost Caverns of Ixalan in Lords of Limited fashion with 50 takes. Pre-50 takes was Rivals of Ixalan. Did you see that they brought back triple small set? We were talking about, oh, they're bringing back Rivals of Ixalan to Arena and assuming that was going to be Ricks, Ricks, Ixalan like it was. No, no, they just brought back triple small set draft. So... Everyone is just jamming Suncrafted Pterodons or whatever that card was called into the each other five. over and over. <laughs> yeah. like, and just like playing the Tetsamok lottery over and over again. That sounds yeah. terrible. I have not partaken of that. I did not either. I did one uh, draft in a coaching session this week, and that was that was enough for me. I was like, oh, no, this is this is quite bad. So we're sending off Lost Caverns of Ixalan in our classic Lords of Limited fashion with our 50 takes. So let's get into that. Just before we do so, we've got some housekeeping things. First things first is the Patreon page, patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. We are doing 50 takes, which means just around the corner is a new set. That's Murders at Karlov Manor. New set season is the best time to get in on the Discord. I mean, the Discord is always great, especially with like new set seems to be, you know, every few weeks these days, depending on how you look at it. I mean, there's Ravnica Remastered that we're not even really going to cover because it's only magic online or paper but like we're going to have sections of the discord where people can talk about that because people are going to be playing that at their lgs's or online the discord is just a fantastic community of uh, like-minded limited individuals and when a new set rolls out when previews start to roll out that's a great time to be on the in on the discord which is what everybody who gives back via the patreon gets access to a lot of other great perks as you move up the reward tier rankings you get access to the show notes access to the episode a day early ad free and even access to monthly coaching sessions with me or ben so if any or all of that sounds of interest to you or you just want to give back to the show that's the place to do it and we want to shout out our new patrons the first week that they join this week we're welcoming miles malta charles boco t and daniel Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc. CoolStuffInc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And you better believe LCI 50 takes means old format going out, new format coming in. That means murders at Karlov Manor pre-orders are up on the CoolStuffInc.com website. We are losing the 15-card draft boosters, but you could be one of the first people to get 14-card play boosters stocked up in that closet. So don't miss out on the opportunity to get that murders at Carlisle Manor draft booster box ordered, or maybe you want to help the Lords of limited testing fam, get Ethan to three Oh, his draft. And you want to organize an eight, eight person draft pod at home, report those results in the Lords of limited discord. I assume we have to have a dedicated channel for like just takes for Ethan for the PT, just secret tech. I- I'm so excited to break this format wide open with you. Oh and my to do gosh. That, you're going to need some paper murders at Carlisle Manor cards. So make sure that you get them from coolstuffinc.com. And when you do, use checkout code LOL all caps to get 5% off your order and let Cool Stuff Inc. know that we sent you over there. All right, Ben, I'm giving you the. This is your. You have the open floor, your soapbox, whatever you want. You're at the podium. What, what honorable mention complaints? That I have censored. This is your uncensored time of the podcast. No beeps, no bleeps. 
What do you want to no say? Beeps, no beeps, no believes. I honestly, I'm going to keep it classy and just say that I'm not playing in the arena open this weekend. I think that I am available and not playing. And that says what I need to say about this format. And that there are just ridiculous cards. Like Unstable Glyph Bridge. That, that card will be burn into my memory from this format <laughs> unstable glyph bridge like that preacher of the schism aquazots breaches kite sail larcenist bone horde dracosaur like why in addition to all of the other nonsense at common and uncommon like why so much i i i, I couldn't i couldn't have scripted that classy i couldn't have scripted that better that was so perfect <laughs> i'm gonna keep it classy i'm just letting people know and another thing actually <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Okay. I wouldn't let Ben complain about the rares in our fifty takes. Unfortunately. All right, buddy. Fifty minutes on the clock. Kick us off here with point number one. Lost Caverns of Ixalan started on turn one. That will also be the thing I remember about this format: unstable glyph bridge and <laughs> the format starting on turn one. Yeah, and I don't think it's necessarily a mark against it. It's just a very defining feature of the format right like one drops as were a, a very big presence in our alchemizing episode last week and just a huge presence in the format in general really dictate what you have to do yeah for me i'm gonna remember games of this format as spyglass siren on turn one from my opponents and just thinking oh i've played this game 15 times already no thank you <laughs> number two lci was defined by an imbalance in the power level of its mechanics and we chatted about this a little bit last week, again, exploring the mechanics of the format and, and maybe where some came up short, some were maybe misplaced, would have been great in other sets. But yeah, I think the fact that some mechanics just like let you do stuff for free, that sort of resulted in the imbalance of some colors, right? That like some colors got access to craft more often and more better than some other colors did. And some other colors got stuck with Descend. So I think Power Rankings, Craft 1, Discover 2, Explore 3, Descend 4. And I think, yeah, the fact that the Jeskai colors got access to Craft at the top of the Power Rankings and the Sultai colors got access to Descend at the bottom of the Power Rankings just did a lot to kind of mess with the format. And then there was Dinosaurs as like the weird uncle that doesn't really care about <laughs> either of those two mechanics and just wants to beat face. But yeah, I think certainly was defined by those mechanics. And also, to go back to point number one, that the fact that games started on turn one, I don't think that necessarily means the format was fast. We should state right. that, right? Like, games could go on for a long while. The dust could settle. You could be, you know, cracking some of those caves to try to explore to get one more piece of cardboard than your opponent. So don't go back to this format thinking necessarily that games are blazing fast. They can be if one of you is playing one drops and one of you is not. But certainly the games could go on for quite a while. Right. Aggressive formats or, or formats where they start on turn one may often result in people, as Ben just said, like if they're both engaging in the format in that way, you're often trading off, trading off, trading off. And maybe your life totals are still pretty high. Like you're not like two ships passing in the night. You're actually two ships colliding. And then when the dust settles, you're like, oh, I'm actually the one left over with the hidden land to crack and discover four. And that's going to start to slightly edge me ahead on resources. Number three, if you drafted your deck correctly, craft was essentially free. What a mechanic, just all upside. I loved craft. Yeah. So what do you mean essentially free? Like, and, and in terms of drafting your deck correctly, like, did you need fodder for it? Like, are we talking Market Gnome, the 03? No, Market Gnome was terrible, right? And I think you know that you're setting me up to rant and rave here, but you would never, right? <laughs> I'm a good podcast co-host. Yes, I'm <laughs> setting you up to answer a question. Yeah. What a guy. I appreciate you. <laughs> So the Jeskai colors, I think it, it was hard to draft decks that weren't good at crafting in the Jeskai colors. If you knew which cards were good and you took the good cards, you were going to end up with great craft cards and cards to craft with, like almost without thinking about it during the course of the draft. Whereas compared to Descend or something, you're having to do so much work to try to get the game to go long, to try to fill up your graveyard, to try to not die to the decks that are playing with all the one drops and all these cheap craft cards and things like that that still perform well in the late game. Yeah, yeah, I, I buy that. There was a, a bit of a choke point, I think, just in terms of, for myself, of evaluating the cards in draft. Like, I think at a, there was, I, I remember early on, having like three to four artifacts with craft in play. And it's sort of like one of those like, oh, how am I going to hold all these things? I'm like, how am I going to flip all these amazing craft cards? And it's like, 
You're not. You don't have time for that. So what you need to know is like which ones are important to flip, which ones you're trying to flip or whatever, which ones you're prioritizing, that sort of thing. And not expecting that like, oh, this game's going to go so long where I'm going to get to transform three or four of these. Well, right. And you just wanted your deck to be a lot of artifacts. Because when craft was really free, it was when you were crafting with an artifact from your graveyard, right? Correct. Yeah. Trading, trading off those artifact creatures or your opponent has to kill your Oaken Siren or whatever. And then you get a craft with it. And then craft just is upside. Number four, discover was either broken or you weren't interested with not much in between, right? It was either just amazing and tacked on to a card you were already interested in. Or it was basically unplayable and tacked on to five mana, three things can't block this turn. Right. So you either got Geological Appraiser, two red, red, three, two, Explore, which was incredible, or the latter, which you were never putting in your deck. But I do think the the Hidden Lands, I think, were the sweet spot. Like that was, those were good discovers that still I did not enjoy because I did not enjoy Discover as a mechanic. But I do think they hit the sweet spot on the Hidden Lands. Yeah, it didn't feel too pushed, right? Like we've seen before, you sort of uh, compared them to the common duels from Streets of New Capenna, where you could pay two and then two colors, tap it, sacrifice it, and draw a card. And this is way better than that, right? You're getting the spell. You know you're hitting a spell, not a land. And you potentially get to cast it if it's not like a combat trick or whatever. Right. Number five, blue was the best color in LCI by a noticeable margin thanks to its powerful commons and versatility. Whew, I mean, blue. we went on a journey with what the best color was. We had, like got baited into white for a while there. It's blue. Yeah, it's blue for sure. I mean, blue not only has a couple mythic uncommons, as we'll get to a little later, but just banger after banger of commons and not, you know, Waterwind Scout is a banger of a common for sure. But like, then everything else past that just sneakily works well together, right? Like Oaken Siren is so awesome and Cogwork Wrestler is so awesome. And those both have good types. And just like Blue got to do a ton for cheap, right? That was what was really good about it. Right. Well, and then you get those cards. And then all of a sudden, because you got those cards, Waylaying Pirates is going around late. And then yeah. you get to table your Waylaying Pirates for your blue Tempo Flyers deck, right? Like, right. there's so many blue cards that were so good and so synergistic that that glued two of the best decks together, right? Blue was the linchpin between blue, white and blue, red. Uh huh. Yeah, absolutely. Number six, if you were black, it was almost I would even just I would remove the almost here and just say it was impossible to play an aggressive deck. I think defensive speed was the name of the game with removal, hand disruption, and 1-1 death touches, right? Like you had you dead weights, tithing blades, join the dead, that sort of like, you know, holy trinity of removal spells backed up by death cap marionette, and maybe even, you say, skull cap snail as the, you know, weak cousin of deep cavern batted on common. But, uh, but yeah, black really, that's what black did best. Well, and it was weird too, like going back and looking like these 50 takes episodes when you're putting together these takes, I think you have a similar process. You're just like going through Scryfall and like yeah. seeing what sparks mm -hmm. ideas from you for these 50 takes. So I was doing that. And I was looking at the black cards and there's so many good, good magic cards yeah. in black. But the format rewarded being proactive so much that it was still tough for those black cards to... I think get an edge compared to, you know, the blue, red, white cards. Yeah, for sure. Well, I just think because, you know, it's why I think Deadweight really was Black's best common personally, which is like a hot take. It's not what the data says, whatever. But I think it's just what when I remember what Black did best, it's just like that's how you combat the cheap evasive threats. You that's how you take advantage of descend because you're getting a descent trigger. You're getting a permanent in your yard to add to your descent count. Like, I think that's just how black got to play. But the problem was the best, you know, blue, white and blue, red decks just got to go under that. Like being able to go under dead weight is kind of crazy. <laughs> well, or could get creatures out of range through plus one, plus one counters. Right. And the other issue with dead weight being the best black common for me, because I, I was on that wavelength for quite a while, but you also can randomly run into like, a lot of those three drop rares that snowball mm -hmm. don't die to dead weight, which is a huge problem when your hand is two dead weights. You're like, all right, great, I'm cozy. And then your opponent sticks a breaches or whatever, you know? Mm -hmm. And I guess if you have two dead weights in your hand, you're just two for one in yourself. But uh, dead weight also matched up really poorly against dinosaurs. That was the that was the other 
thing. Well, there's a bit of a rock, paper, scissors there, kind of, except that like whatever, whatever black decks did, they kind of sometimes lost the rock to they lost the rock to scissors match too because of what you're talking about with the deadweights getting out of range. But yeah, if you set up your deck, your black decks to combat the evasive threats and then you face, you know, red, green, stompy, you're going to have a bad time. Right. That's why it's tough for control decks because you have to be able to account for all of it in one 40 card deck, right? Which is tough. Number seven, white was best at being aggressive, especially when paired with blue or red. Yeah, I think, you know, Jeskai, the format was we, we pegged it pretty early. And, and I think a lot of folks did as well, like just not hard to see how great those colors worked in tandem, getting the overlap of craft, explore, artifact synergies, random discover sprinkled in there, going wide, etc. Like and and white just with Ultec Cloud Guard, Miner's Guidewing, we'll talk about a sort of holy trinity in white a little later on. White just got to do a lot at common and its uncommons and rares were nothing to sneeze at either. Right, but it was just very deep at common with almost all of the cards being on the same game plan, which is where I think we fell in love with white a little bit, like we're trying to say it was the best color, but I think ultimately blues just power and versatility and synergy wins out over white. Number eight, green was weak at common and it performed best in red green dinosaurs and could also play well in green black descent. And those were, I think, green's two best decks. I don't think, you know, green white never really came together for me in the format. And, you know, as we've we've said, we're done shouting out blue green. We need blue green to blue green's got to step it up in 2024. You know, it's definitely uh, definitely got some some room to grow. But green being weak at common has been a kind of theme for limited, unfortunately, like on, you know, if it gets whatever contagious Vorak, you know, a a three mana, three, three that draws a card or proliferates or a three, three vigilance trample that makes a treasure token, you know, something a four mana, three, three with foretell that draws a card, you know, green has had some incredible premium commons, but it never, you never feel like it's got that deep roster of commons, unfortunately. Yeah, I agree. Number nine, red was another aggressive color and played well with everything except black since black was so bad at being aggressive. Like this was one of the first times ever that red black was one of the worst archetypes. I mean, just kind of wild. Yeah. The colors were just so at odds with what each one was incentivized to do. Yeah. I think like the only time I had a red black deck I really liked was one, you know, it can't be aggressive. And so you're basically just base black peppering it with you know some abrades and you know some whatever you get geological appraiser is just going to give you a good time no matter what and so i think it was like red black value removal with some reanimator sprinkled in there you know you get some sahili's lattices in there to help fuel your uh your graveyard a little bit get some descend stuff reanimate etc but yeah red black not great Certainly not. And you will see that in the power rankings coming up. Number 10, the official Lords Limited archetype power rankings. Number one, blue, white. Number two, blue, red. Number three, red, white. There's the Jeskai triumvirate. Sorry, dinosaur lovers. I thought about putting it at number three, but dinosaurs, red, green dinosaurs is coming in at number four. And then I would put a gap here after those four archetypes, maybe even excluding dinosaurs. I don't care what the data says about dinosaurs being the best deck. We know, Ben. We know. Number five, blue, black. And then number six, black, green as the uh, the descend decks. And then I would also put another gap here after those decks. Yeah. And then these decks were just, as far as I can tell, decks you were hoping to never draft. Green, white, number seven. White, black, number eight. Red, black, number nine. And blue, green, number ten. Yeah, you know, later on, you have a point about it feeling kind of like a guild set. And I hadn't thought I was like, that's not really true. But looking at this list, I'm like, yeah, there's about half the decks I don't want to draft. That's a about about half you don't want to draft. And then like, there's really three things. You're either drafting a craft deck, a dinosaur deck or a descent deck. Correct. You're you're really drafting three decks that kind of are slightly different. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like we there's there's always different ways to look at formats like that in terms of like you can peep, you can look at it and be like, well, there's really only three decks. And then sometimes you there's a flip side where people are like, there's 12 decks within those three decks. But no, I you think can play I, blue, white, craft, early game, blue, white, craft, late game, <laughs> right, blue, right. white, craft, win the entire game, always, all the time. Like you could do so many different things, man. I it shouldn't be craft. It should be artifacts right like i'm I'm in i'm substituting craft for the word artifacts it should be artifacts energy decks yeah right all right we're gonna take a quick ad break let ben cool off a little bit and be back with the rest of the takes 
on average, it takes about 30 days for a person to break their New Year's resolution. So if saving money was on your 2024 list, your odds are not looking that great. Luckily, I have a 100% guaranteed way to save money this year. Changing from best of one to best of three? No. Stop drafting around companions and cube? No. Start a PT testing team and charging people to be in it? No, it's switching phone plans to Mint Mobile. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. All plans come with unlimited talk and text plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com LOL. That's mintmobile.com LOL. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash LOL. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. All right, we're back. Number 11. Lost Caverns of Ixalan drafts usually felt on rails thanks to how good the premium cheap cards were and how powerful the rares were. It was really tough to move off once you got like a few good cheap cards or once you got a good rare plus a couple cheap cards. It was tough to pivot. Yeah, it's really hard when you load up on those early drops, which you're supposed to, I think. It becomes really hard to pivot, right? If you are starting with powerful three drop, three drop or whatever, then you maybe have some wiggle room. You can be like, well, maybe I'm 10, seven. And, you know, if even if my three drops were red cards, I can go, you know, that's my support color, whatever. Here you were really going like one drop, one drop, or it was, as you said, you know, you're starting with an unstable glyph bridge and then you just get a white card and you're like, I'm not going to move off of this no matter what the table tells me to do because this card is so powerful. And some of it too was the fact that the colors didn't go together, right? Like if you were a white mm. and you're trying to be white blue, but blue's cut and like you see black is open, like you're not going to pivot into white black. Like you're going to hold on and play a functional blue white deck, right? Mm-hmm. Like some of it was those last four decks or whatever in the archetype power rankings just largely falling completely flat or, you know, the the artifact synergy space having next to no overlap with the descend space. Like it was it was very compartmentalized what each archetype was trying to do. Yeah. Number 12, Atali's favor was a wild one. I n- never would have in a million years known this was a card without the data. And I'm honestly, I'm still not convinced this card is great. I read this. I read the I'm still not super convinced. I couldn't roll my eyes hard enough. What What did you need to happen? Get convinced. This card is good. It's playable. It's not like one of the best red commons. I refuse to accept that this is one of the best red commons. We're, I, I want to put a pin in this and we're going to talk about this sort of phenomenon, as for lack of a better word, uh, a little later on. So remind me, we're going to take the pin out in a later point. Well, how am I going to remind you if I don't know what the point is? Just say pin every few minutes and I'll... <laughs> okay, I'll, perfect. I'll, I'll remember. I'll remember. Number 13, blue-red artifacts was capable of the most broken starts in the format. Holy cow, that deck could pack a punch. Yeah, I mean, pick pick your poison of Spyglass Siren, Goblin Tomb Raider into Landry Storm or into Oaken Siren, and now you're ramping out stuff like... You, and I haven't really even mentioned some of the more busted stuff at higher rarity. Like blue red artifacts was lean and mean. I have definitely drafted multiple decks where like the curve stopped at three. Oh, yeah, for sure. Number 14, the official Lords of Limited top common of each color in white, old tech cloud guard. Pour one out for Miner's Guidewing. We thought, we thought it maybe hold the top spot, but no, Cloud Guard got there. There was like a week where you were supposed to pick Miner's Guidewing as the best white common when people were really underrating how good the aggressive white decks were, but after the format shook out, I think Ultech Cloud Guard gets the nod. In blue, Runaway Waterwind Scout. In black, Deadweight still for me, Deathcap Marionette for you, sounds like? I think Deathcap Marionette for me, the 1-1 the Death Toucher Mill 2 cards. The data... Says Tithing Blade. I know. That was was my hot take coming into the format and the the data board out. I don't believe the data, though. Like, it's just felt so bad. So many of the good Jeskai decks had tokens laying around. Yeah. And when you had to play Tithing Blade into those tokens decks, like, it just felt abysmal. Right. But that's why you need, like, I I feel like the only way for Tithing Blade to be Black's Best Common is if you're treating Deadweight with the appropriate weight, right? Like, because that's what makes Tithing Blade good is when you're like, 
kill the cheap thing, kill the cheap thing. And now you're sticking your four or five drop and tithing blade gets you. But there's like times when you draw your uh, like second, if you're picking it as the best black common, you're going to end up with a couple, two or three of them. I and know, then like, I know, I know. your opponent has played an old tech cloud guard by that point, And you're like tithing blade and your opponent yeah. sacks their one, one, like, and you're just really sad. Like mm-hmm. it's tough, tough for me to believe that it's tithing blade. Yep. Moving on to red again. I'm sticking with a braid. Yeah, it has to be. I, I agree. I'm I'm with you on a braid. And for green, tough tough to really pick one. I guess poison dart frog might get there, but green. It's what just, the data says, and I kind of yeah. I kind of buy it. But also to take your pin out, I'm gonna I'm gonna take your pin out for a second here. There there was a point in the format where everyone was like, yeah, armored kin collar, best green common, not close, like the three three gain three. And then I was looking at the data, and armored kin collars like greens eighth best common now when it was like the number one common so which is it ben, do you want the data to back up your argument or not only I, when I, you no, see what i'm fa- saying is the data is so all over the place and i'm sure that's because the format has shifted some and armored kin collar was great when everybody was playing all in aggro because all you needed to do was put a three three on the board and gain three life to you know turn the game around in your favor but i can just People tout the data too much. I'm, yeah, that, that, I'm going to put the pin back in. I'm yeah, done. Put the pin back in. You, you, you're spiraling. <laughs> so let's get back to number 15. Number 15. The three pillars of Lost Caverns of Ixalan were Jeskai Artifacts, Sultai Descend, and Red Green Dinosaurs. I think that's maybe one of, you know, if, if we came to the podcast with one of our, okay, you got to tweet the format. This is one of the tweets, or this is part of the tweet of like, you only have an elevator pitch to give someone about the format. This really tells them a lot about that. There's only three decks to draft. Yeah. Great format. (laughs) Trying to say that you're packaging this quite neatly and quite well. Oh, thank you for the compliment. You're very welcome. Number 16. Miner's Guidewing was actually the best white common if people weren't contesting white aggressive decks. Sort of touching back on that point you made about the, the week where folks weren't treating the format perhaps quite appropriately and you really wanted to load up on the guide wings well and that was more a nod to where you were picking it right because it still is very good like white decks are never cutting miners guide wings most of the time i I can imagine actually some craft decks cutting miners guide wing but in general you wanted to be getting your miners guide wings like seventh eighth pick or on the wheel i think rather than you know third picking your miners guide wing or whatever well and it was tough I remember talking to you about this of like when we realized that white was kind of bifurcated of like, well, you've got these aggro decks, but then it can also do a control thing with saw blades and Cosmium blasts. But there was a problem where when you were drafting white in that way, where like you would still get miners guide wings, you'd be like, well, this is a pretty good card. Am I supposed like, do I play this in my white deck with Cosmium blasts and saw blades? And you had some tension there. So you had to be aware of that. But yeah, guide wing. Guidewing is the real deal. Number 17, map tokens were better than exploring thanks to artifact synergy and being able to target key creatures. Yeah. I mean, I, who would have thought that like tacking on, like, we, like, well, it costs some mana to explore. That was usually not downside. Usually not downside because you got a piece of cardboard to do things with like craft, you know, your map tokens running around, or you could then explore onto your flyers instead of your derpy 2-2 ground creature. Number 18, the tap two creatures or artifacts was a cool spin on the red-white aggressive archetype. It was nice that red-white got reach in this way, you know, Sunshot Militia at common as like a card when the dust settled of like, okay, you're at six, but you're stable, but I've got Sunshot Militia, so you're now on a three-turn clock or whatever. And the fact, I thought they nailed it with the sorcery speed so that you had to sort of, you know, weigh the options of, do I need this creature to block next turn? Can I afford to tap it here? And then, of course, when you just had like Tinker's Totem or whatever running around and getting you tokens and craft artifacts to tap for free. But it also led to some variable speed red-white decks too, right? Like you could either be all in or you could be a little more mid-rangey, flood the board with rectangles and then try to take advantage of those rectangles. Mm-hmm. Number 19, creatures with reach were important amount of defense against cheap evasive threats from blue and white decks some just some cards that were like your opponent stuck a panicked altasaur when you're playing like blue white and you're like wow how am i attacking through that unless mm-hmm. i draw my petrify you know or mine shaft spider mine shaft spider was just premium in the format i think but three and a green for the three four reach mill two and etbs that card was also just a brick wall to try to attack through yeah the cards that look you know, derpy replacement level and in some decks they were but 
or I guess panicked Altasaur more so in some decks that were. And in most green decks, I guess, outside of red, green, stompy, Mineshaft Spider was just a house. Yeah, just excellent. Number 20, you wanted to get a plus one plus one counter from your exploring more than you wanted to draw a land. This is what I will remember the most about your rants from the format is the sentiment. Yeah, that's a. I think that's hard for me to want to engage with a format where that is the case. Like, yes, we know. <laughs> well, because if you present a magic player with that statement, like the magic player should always say, I want to draw a land, right? But then no, you don't want to draw a land. That's not true. Some people like their creatures getting bigger. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I, I am not those. I, I also like my creatures getting bigger, no, but I like hitting, I like lie. hitting my flight detector and drop more. <laughs> okay. But the games were over so quick that you just like, you didn't need to get to land five, six, seven sometimes. I don't know. This is very backwards. Once I had that epiphany, I was just woof. Yeah. The shiver went up my spine. I felt a disturbance in the force. Number 21. Another chance, which is the two black return two creatures from your graveyard to your hand. Another chance rebuying key cards like Chupacabra Echo was a critical piece of successful descend decks. Even more than being descend decks, sometimes they were just churning through my deck to find key cards and reanimating them and bringing them back via right. another chance. Yeah. Well, I think Chupacabra Echo, this might be the only spot where we talk about it. I mean, that was the key non-rare for descend decks. And this was... You know, the fact that you got so many ways to get it back, another chance to bring it back to your hand, a handful of ways to reanimate, as we'll talk about a little, little later. But Chupacabra Echo was just an excellent magic card and was part of that engine. Just And I think self-mill on another chance was great, too. The like that you may mill two and then rebuy two creatures is so good because if you had a creature dense deck, you could sometimes fire this off with only one creature in your yard and feel like whatever, 75% of the time, 60% of the time, whatever, I'm gonna hit a second creature on this. And that felt good too. Yeah, absolutely. Love the extra mill on another chance. Number 22, the caves deck largely fell flat thanks to the aggressive nature of the format, especially in best of one. I think it's, I don't think this is the culprit because we've seen, I've drafted successful control decks or successful cave decks in the format. We'll talk about the power rankings in the next point as well. And maybe that should go in tandem with us talking about caves. But I think the bigger problem was just the steep drop off in the caves payoffs past the first one. That's fair. All right, let's move on. So yeah. number 23, the official Lords of Limited caves payoff power rankings. Number one, Calamitous cave in. That was the deal damage equal to the number of caves that you controlled. I mean, getting a sweeper at non-rare for your deck is huge that you could have multiples of that's huge like that was what made the caves deck functional i think and then past that they weren't great i i slotted in the number two here cavernous maw which was the land that could turn into a three three as like the second best payoff just because one it was it's both a payoff and an enabler right and that's pretty key for any kind of synergy deck but that just the rest of them weren't that good. Like, what's on this list? Gargantuan Leech, 5-5 five, five Lifelink, Sinuous Benthosaur, Wannabe Muldrifter that was just nowhere close to as good as Muldrifter. Just Bat Colony. We talked about the problems with that last episode. Mm -hmm. Spelunking that I was all hyped about until I realized you didn't gain four life so every time you played a cave. <laughs> yeah, what the, the card, reading the card explains the card. Yeah, so I, that's my feeling about the Caves deck is I think the payoffs needed to be a little bit more juiced. Not a ton, but like Calamitous Cave-In is an A for the deck, and the rest of them don't really matter. I mean, they they're don't. better than don't really matter, but they're not good enough to pull you into the Caves deck. There was exactly one card that could pull you into Caves, which was Calamitous Cave-In, and it was very hard to draft Caves pre-getting a Calamitous Cave-In right. because you didn't know if one was going to be opened. Exactly. And too many things had to go right, right? You have to get the payoffs first, then you also have to have caves come around they have to be not only caves that you want like not only right color right like you could just get randomly screwed with oh the caves in this pack are white white blue and then it's like but i'm drafting red green <laughs> caves or whatever <laughs> right you know? yeah. yeah number 24 the hidden lands the ones that crack to discover for were important to have action once the dust settled in some of the aggressive mirrors that's sort of like trade-off 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 okay, now what are we doing in this top deck war? If you have a land that you can cash in for a spell, it's a pretty big game. 
yeah, the Hidden Lands, I think, were a good place for Discover. Number 25, Self Mill was very important for Caves decks to turn on their payoffs faster than just hitting land drops naturally. That was almost more important than, like, fueling your yard for Descent, right? Like, milling Caves was almost better than, like, and they were sort of in tandem, right? If you could overlap your blue-black or your black-green Descend decks... Or your Jun descend X. Yeah, with like some, Jun some descend caves. caves was like a very common. That's a cool sweet spot, thing. right? Where you get to take advantage of descend plus you like milling the caves. There was like tension sometimes though. Like what was it? Caslam's stone tree, the two in a green. Like look at the top six that crafted with a cave. And I get that you what you were supposed to do was crack a hidden land and then exile that cave from your yard. But I don't want to exile caves from my yard. When you've I got calamitous my- cave in and you want right. to count to be higher, right? Yeah. Yeah. Number 26, Adaptive Gem Guard, better than it looks. Way better than it looks, right? Like during preview season, I would have said, hoping to never put Adaptive Gem Guard in my deck. And turns out like it was just totally fine to good. And there were so many white cards that were cheaper than it that you didn't have to pick it super highly. And also a little awkward that it shared a spot with Ultec Cloud Guard on the curve. But people were picking Ultec Cloud Guards highly. And if you didn't end up with them, Adaptive Gem Guard was totally fine to have I mean, in your four drop slot very often came down as a four four right just comes down you tap a, a one one token and a craft artifact and you got a four four and then just threatens to grow the longer the game goes no i liked adaptive gem guard that was a cool card design number 27 clay fired bricks let white decks win the early game and the late game i got some pushback on this in the lords of limited discord and i'll tell you what I stand by my take. Do you know the quote from The Wedding Singer where he's like, well, I have the microphone and you don't. <laughs> I do know that quote. That's what I feel. That's how I feel. That's your vibe today. I feel like a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Clay Fire Bricks. Great card. I still I feel like definitely lets you win the, the late game, the early game. It helps. Well, it, it doesn't help. It doesn't help you win the early game at all, but you get to play it in a deck. And then once you put it in your deck, your early and mid game deck also just has this insane trump card in the late game that costs you nothing. Right. Number 28, Zoetic Glyph was the mythic uncommon of the formats. This is the two in a blue enchanted artifact. The artifact's a 5-4 creature. And when Zoetic Glyph leaves the battlefield, you discover three. Tied with Deep Cavern Bat and Spyglass Siren among 17 lands top users, which is kind of wild that those other two cards get up to the level of Zoetic Glyph. I mean, I love both Spyglass Siren and Deep Cavern Bat. I would say Deep Cavern Bat ahead of Spyglass Siren for me. Oh, wow. I think my rankings would go Glyph 1, Bat 2, Siren 3, but... But Bat and Siren don't feel like mythic uncommons to me. Yeah, in the sense that they can't single. I mean, Deep Cavern yeah. Bat kind of can solo a game if your opponent doesn't have removal, but that's I mean, fair. that's their yeah. their fault rather than Deep Cavern Bat being nuts. Right, yeah. But yeah, Zoetic Glyph was broken and I, to be honest, I knew it was busted from day one, and I did not get to play with it that much somehow. Like, I was not in the pods where people That's were cheating. That's what happens like, when you don't draft the format very much. Is you fair, don't play with some I, cards. Listen, I put in my time the first three weeks as a good podcast co-host, All and right. I, I did not get to play with many Zoetic Glyphs. Number 29, Bringer of the Last Gift and Throne of the Grim Captain were two bright spots as very fun build-around rares. Yeah, so Throne of the Grim Captain was the one that crafted with, was mill two, so you could find them, and then crafted with the four relevant creature types, and Bringer of the Last Gift was Living Death tacked onto a, was it a 5-5 five, five flyer, 6-6 six, six flyer? 6-6 six, six flyer. I love Bringer of the Last Gift. I had a couple very fun Bringer yeah. of the Last Gift decks. Yeah. It's a tough one, though. You know, If you're coming back to the format and you pack one, pick one, it's a tough one because... It's an eight drop. And so you need to draft like removal, cheap removal along the way. But you also kind of need a way to like hose your opponent's graveyard a little bit because you don't want to be like, kill your thing, kill your thing, kill your thing. And then when bringing the last gift comes around, you're like, aha. And now you get all those things back. <laughs> that I spent time killing. Yeah. Right. So you would just, just be a little careful. Number 30, you should mulligan to functional hands in LCI. Missing a color. Or starting on turn three was a recipe for getting run over. This is a great light bulb moment for both of us, I think. Early on in the format was comparing it to one. You know, we really leveled up our mulligan game in Phyrexia all be one. And I think this format also had similar strict rules about the kinds of hands you could keep. I mean, not quite to the extent of Phyrexia all be one. No. I think a little more lenient than that. But keeping the old like three land, my first play is a three drop and all three of my lands are the same color, like shouldn't be doing that in this format. Like you could not stumble 
for a turn or two in this format and expect to stay alive. Number 31, Sunfire Torch is a very versatile magic card. This is the equipment that gave plus one plus oh, and then when your creature attacked, you could sack it to deal two damage to any target. I would have said, I mean, I, I, I don't even know, but my guess is I gave this a D plus, maybe a C minus. It was a solid C plus for me at the end of the format. Like this card does so much for one mana. That's one of my, I think, takeaways going forward is basically any one drop that has a block that has no flavor text on it or very little flavor text. I'm going to keep my eye on it because this just does so much, right? It gives you artifacts, synergies. It pumps evasive threats, which were a big part of the format. It's a the piece of cardboard, a rectangle for you to tap for your red, white stuff and a removal spell, right? Just like kills something that's an X1 or an X2. Sometimes this just ends the game. You know, being able to go face is relevant. Just does a lot for one mana. I mean, essentially a just guy only card, but very good in the just guy decks. Right. Yeah, you're probably I mean, red black's not a deck and red green doesn't need this. So yes, basically just a red white or a red blue card, but it's a lot of the decks in the format. Number 32, RIP short sword. There's a new deconstruction hammer in town, but our short sword was colorless. Deconstruction hammer was colorless, but deconstruction hammer. I mean, just incredible sort of a similar conversation to sunfire torch right like just this being able to pump your evasive threats but then also interact favorably with the best decks in the format with being able to be something cheap that got to play offense and then defense if you needed to blow up something on the other side of the battlefield right they finally got red white to be an equipment theme without making it an equipment theme overtly, like thanks to the tap to untapped right. creatures or artifacts, because being able to tap Sunfire Torch and Deconstruction Hammer as one of your two things on those abilities to turn them on was very strong. And I think just also the cheap, aggressive, evasive nature, a lot of the threats in the format, you know, pairing these equipment with blue evasive creatures or white evasive creatures and pumping them up just did a lot of work. Number 33, the land cyclers were a significant letdown other than as reanimate targets in very niche black decks. Yeah, I think that's fair. So some some takeaways for us, because we saw land cyclers three times last year as a cycle in different sets, in MOM, in LTR, and then in LCI. One is a lot less than two in terms of the cycling cost. And seven is so much more than six in terms of the casting cost, I think. Like, Holy cow, Marauding Brinefang is seven mana or Nurturing. We, did, we we were trying to talk about Nurturing Bristleback being like green's best common at some point. It's so hard to cast. Like, yeah, five, five and a three, three is good, but so hard to cast. So hard to cast. Yeah, definitely agree that the seven is so much more than six. Number 34, pour one out for River Herald Scout. You're still a good card in our hearts and, and maybe may good again in a different set. But Maybe not get again a different set. Yeah, just tough because you didn't care about a two mana two three and you didn't care about a two mana one two draw land. Yeah. Number 35, low power, high toughness ground creatures were terrible defensive speed in the format. Yeah, looking at you basking Capybara and Acolyte of Aklazots, like even, you know, there was the, the <laughs> I remember early on doing some drafts over Discord with you. There's the was Dauntless Dismantler, the white, uh, one of the white one four that you know, had their stuff coming, their artifacts coming to play tapped and you could blow up some equal to a mana value. Like I was sort of championing that card and then eventually was like, wait a minute. None of these like, yeah, I was like, it's a good, good blocker, but it doesn't actually deal with the things you need to block ever, right? It doesn't deal with the flyers and then it doesn't deal with the dinos. Yeah, just really bad defensive speed. Number 36, Sage of Days was very playable in Blue Black Descend decks to help fuel your graveyard and find key cards. It's Organ Hoarder at home. It's two and a blue for a three, two. You look at the top three and you can, you know, mill all of them or you could put one from them and keep it on top. But it, it was a nice spot where like you were always going to get Sage of Days right. if you wanted them, but it was a very good card in those Blue Black Descend decks. I, I like formats that have cards like that. Mm-hmm. Number 37. Cavern Stomper was a house in sealed arena open coming up this weekend, folks. Take notes. Yeah, Cavern Stompers. Yeah, Cavern Stomper is huge. And another piece of tech for sealed is, is pl- play as many caves as you can. I think um, most of the time those are going to be really good for you. This is just so big. And Scry 2 as your curved on your curve topper. It's often draw a card. Yeah, Cavern Stomper did some work in sealed, not in draft so much. Number 38. Beware. 
Treachery. These cards are all much worse than they look. We've got a list of five here. Number one is Hurl into History. This was the counter a spell for five mana and then discover equal to that spell's mana value. Now, my Mystic Snake take didn't pan out so well with Hurl into History. It did did not. Self-reflection, just too clunky when you actually drew it. Yeah, six mana copy a thing you control, too expensive. Waterlogged Hulk, I'll push back on this one just slightly. I do think this was good in some very dedicated blue-black descend decks, but largely just you didn't want to spend one mana for just something that tapped to mill. Yeah, just not worth a card. Grasping Shadows, just not enough time. <laughs> Both of us were so excited about this card, and it was so bad. Is this so card bad. just bad? I, I, I feel like this might just be bad. Like, no, I think this might just be bad. You no. think if, is it just because black is bad? It's because black's not aggressive. If black were okay. like wanting to attack, okay, this would okay, be much okay. better. All right, I buy that. And then number five, Visage of Dread. This was the, you know, Thoughtseize tacked onto a, a two mana artifact that flipped into a five, four menace. You think you're 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 doing something with this Visage of Dread. You're not really. <laughs> you're not really affecting the board. All right, here's my pin. Number 39. Number 39, stop underrating staggering size. Yes, we're looking at you, Ethan, and me. I, I'm I'm prone to underrate this type of card, too. So this is the pin uh, that I want to talk about Atali's favor in, too, which is just like staggering size for a while, I think may have been the top performing green common. Sounds like it's not anymore, but I'm sure it's still up there. I have a really run amok is another great example of a card like this one in a red, you know, plus three, plus three trample to an attacking creature. These cards always perform really well, and and the on seventeen lands are often top of the heap, or they're often among the top performers, if not the top performer for their color. But I don't know how to pick it appropriately because I feel like I need you know if I'm going to be playing a Tali's favor and treating it as the best red common, treating staggering size as the best green common, I need threats. I need to take cheap threats, and everybody needs to take cheap threats because that's the game we play. And so, don't I have to take the cheap threats above? The tricks and the auras. Yeah, which is why Atali's favor is not the best red common. <laughs> okay. But like, I think I need to figure out a way to calibrate my brain around like, I got to find a way to end up in a deck that has three staggering sizes in it. Yes, 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 yes. Like right? to get better at drafting that yes. style of deck. Certainly. I agree that that is a leak in my draft game as well. So that's my pin. I 2024 resolution here it is number one i'm gonna stop underrating cards like staggering size i like it i like that pin that was a good pin thank you number 40 goblin tomb raider was its own type of collect them all in the red artifact decks it's very cool like i think we're starting to see there's always a couple build arounds at common type cards or like and maybe build around isn't the right way to phrase it but it's like once you have the first one the second one skyrockets in value. And once you have the second one, you've got a plan and your plan is this card. Yeah, I I would say that goes more towards three with this card, probably. Like, I'm not going all in on Goblin Tomb Raiders with two of them. But yeah, the sentiment stands. But it already warps. You're like, well, now I have to be heavy red and I already want like whatever, however many two mana artifacts I can get. So this is attacking, you know, Goblin Tomb Raider on one, Sunfire Torch equip on two was just, you're like, wait, what? No, the, the better one is Goblin Raider on one oh. and Sunfire Torch plus another Goblin Tomb yeah, Raider on two. For four. That, that okay, was the okay. dream. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. Number 41, Springloaded Sawblades was a defense only card. It took me three weeks, but I finally got it through my head to not put Springloaded Sawblades in decks that wanted to play offense. Yeah, it's a, it's a good tech. Number 42, Poison Dart Frog has reach. Did you get caught by this? So many times. Not so many, but like, and it wasn't like your creature was getting eaten. It was, here was the conversation every time I was streaming. I attack, I attack with my water wind scout, poison dart frog blocks. I'm like, dang it, that has reach. Activate death touch. That's not too bad. We traded, but like, it still was kind of bad. Like you didn't really want to trade your water wind scout with their poison dart frog and it was always on like turn 12 because like turns like (laughs) six through 11 i was like yeah that's got reach i remember and then 12 i was like i have attacks now don't i (laughs) (laughs) number 43 efficient removal was important yeah i mean and cards that i think duskrow's reliquary was a card that i sort of wrote off early that overperformed petrify you know, the passivism variants are always a hot contested topic on our show. 
Petrified did work. In, Petrified in was format. good, even even with craft and like the you know sacrifice things. Petrified was good. Yeah, number forty four. The Golden Egg Award goes to Brrr, Oaken Siren. I love this take. Yeah, I was yeah. surprised. I yeah. was I was like sorting through, and I feel like. Not only was this a glue card, it's like Pelagir Survivor from uh, Lord of the Rings. Yeah, this is, I think, one of the hidden gems, yeah. or certainly early on hidden gems for Jeskai decks, which I think were the place to be in the format. And this was just an excellent glue card for everything those blue-white, red-blue decks wanted to do. And it was so unassuming. Like, this was not on my radar at all until I played against it a couple times, played with it once, and then you start to see, oh, this is great. Like, put a counter on it, and this is a mana dork and a threat for your artifacts decks was very strong. Yeah. Number 45, the Imperial Oath Award for the clunky looking overperformer goes to Pathfinding Axjaw. Three to I, three for the four three. I'm going to ETBs, you explore. I, when I was going through this, I didn't see this point because you had it almost last. And I was like, oh, I'll add this in. And this was my exact pick for this card too. I think. All uh, synced up, baby. We're all synced up. Pathfinding Axjaw was yeah another card in in the long list of you know four drops and five drops that i wrote off because yeah i think you're supposed to write off a lot of those you're like these are replacement level it's about finding the ones that aren't that are above replacement level and pathfinding axe jaw certainly was well and it because you still wanted to draw land numbers five and six in your dinosaurs decks right that was the reason why because four mana four three draw land was great in those decks. And also four mana five four was huge. You were happy either way in the dinosaurs decks with Pathfinding X draw. Number 46, Envoy of Okanek Ohau gave you a repeatable way to trigger Master's Guide Mural every turn. Now I know what you're going to say, Ben. You don't know what I'm going to say. Uh-oh. What am I going to say? Well, now I want to know. I thought you were going to say you don't need something to make Master's Guide Mural good. Well, that is true, but uh, mostly what I was going to say was this this is hyperlinked in our 50 takes episode. I don't know that I've seen hyperlinks in our 50 takes episodes ever to know what the cards do. Because you wouldn't have known what this card did, would you? Oh, yeah, this five oh. mana make a 1-1. One, one. Okay. The, you I really did for my benefit. Wow. I wrote the point. I didn't think I needed to know what the card did. Yeah, so Envoy is the 3 mana 3-3 three, three in white. You pay 4 in a white to make a 1-1 one, one gnome. That triggers your Master's Guide mural. And I saw that once and i was like oh that's pretty sick because part of the issue i mean master's guide mural is very powerful but it's the last thing you do usually so you're in this sort of top deck mode of like hopefully i'll get an, get an artifact so i can get the stream of four fours well envoy helps you do that every turn for five mana i think you're just probably generally hoping to put more artifacts in your deck than you are an envoy of okanek how but it's close all right number 47 reanimate decks were a thing thanks to defossilize number one big gap and then Soul Coil Viper number two, but to fossilize was excellent. And again, took me like a week or a week and a half to come around to just how great to fossilize was. Right. Well, because the Explore Then Explore was just so good because you're usually, right, on average, you're getting a land and a counter. And so you're getting a land and then, and, and remember, you don't have to draw that card. So you're, you're getting somewhere in the range of draw one to two cards tacked onto this. You know, if you draw a land and then you find a spell that's a two drop that's irrelevant then you bin that whatever fuel some descend stuff like defossilize was so good yep number 48 the holy trinity white curve out was miner's guide wing on one 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 flyer into iron paw aspirant two mana one two dump a counter on the guide wing into glorifier of suffering sacrifice your iron paw aspirant put another counter on guide wing and a counter on glorifier now you're attacking with a three three vigi flyer and you've got a four three in play so good that was a strong start that white decks could do all a common and totally yeah. reasonable to do as well. And you wanted all of those cards in the same style of deck. Yep. Number 49, Roaming Throne can do some silly things. Talk to me about this. Okay. So this is, again, hyperlinked for your pleasure. Four, Definitely. <laughs> four mana for the 4-4 four, four artifact with Ward 2. And you could choose a creature type. And then if a triggered ability of another creature you control of the chosen type triggers, it triggers an additional time. You can just, you know, you name Pirate and you get an additional treasure from something entering the battlefield, whatever. A Cogwork Wrestler comes in, you name Gnome, and you get two things to get minus two minus so until end of turn my favorite personally was doubling triggers from threefold thunder hulk so getting twice the number of counters twice the number of uh, one ones when i attack with it 
that card was pretty sweet. Do you does threefold Thunderhawk really need the help? I mean, if you got to seven mana and cast you that need, card, it was you, good. It's gonna, you're gonna want the help. You're gonna want <laughs> the gonna extra want triggers. The okay, yeah. Okay. And number fifty, Lost Caverns of Ixalan had some interesting concepts, but ultimately it didn't get there for us. So talk to me about what missed. I think caves missed as an archetype largely. I mean, like you could do it, and it was a part of the format, but it wasn't equal to the and and not that it necessarily has to be but it wasn't equal to descend it wasn't equal to the jeskai artifacts deck it wasn't equal to dinosaurs it was like a plan d when your draft was going really badly but it was hard to pivot into and it wasn't even really a plan d worth going after that much yeah i think that's true discover largely missed for me as a mechanic i think you don't quite feel the same deep set hatred of discover as i do but i just did not enjoy flipping magic cards off the top of my deck and seeing what happened or my opponent doing the same. It was, I'll take Hearthstone for that play experience. Thank you very much. That's fair. For the archetypes missed. I mean, yeah. we talked about that in the power rankings. Like that's a rough beat, like only really having six draftable decks and like really you could boil it down to three categories of decks. Like it really was fairly narrow as far as variety in archetypes. And as a result, like a lot of cool gameplay like that was fast and there were a lot of close games, but also a lot of the same types of cool gameplay. So, you know, after your fifth time of having a close game of racing, like, is it really that exciting anymore? That was kind of where I just kind of hit a saturation point with the same types of gameplay as well. Well, and that that leads to your next point here, which is that it felt closer to a guild format than anything, because if if four of the color pairs kind of missed, which I think they did, your your draft on on rails a little bit. And as much as I don't love shouting this out, I do think that there were a handful of rares that led to a lot of non-games. You know, the, the bigger issue is the rares that were cheaper. Like, yeah, I don't like Unstable Glyph Bridge, but I really don't like getting bodied by like an Inti on turn two. Well, right. Or there was a cycle of three drops for every color. Like the pre- the Preacher, preacher. Of the Schism, Breaches, Kite Sail Larcenist, the, yeah. the green one that made map tokens on mm-hmm. ETB and Sentinel. Leaving. Yeah. Yeah. But just so many good three drop rares too. Yeah, and then I think all of that ultimately led to not many interesting drafts. You certain they certainly existed because draft is always great, but I think we hit kind of the floor a little bit more here with that thing we talked about with either you start off with one of those great rares and you're so incentivized to stick to that color, or you start off with one of those you know, a couple great cheap one drops or something in a color, and then it's just hard to pivot. Right. Like if your draft starts with Breach's Eager Pillager, not only do you know your red, for example, but you you probably know your red, blue or red, white. Like it's very unlikely that you're going to be red, black ever. And Breach's is not at its best, certainly in a dinosaur's deck. No. I mean, you're hoping to You'll be play it, but yeah, you're hoping. Yeah, you're never cutting it. But like so much of the time, even rares aside, five picks into a draft, you know what the deck looks like that you're likely to end up in, and you're just kind of hoping to pick up pieces. Yeah. It just felt like to me like kind of pulling a slot machine rather than like playing blackjack or something, you know? I didn't feel like I was able to <laughs> let's say playing poker, because you've you're like you're like one game where you have no agency into another game where you have basically no agency. <laughs> no, you have some agency in blackjack, right? Yes. Yeah, count those cards. Yeah, yeah. I'm, bring, I'm bringing down the house over here, baby. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I need I need more of this, but we're actually we're gonna start a constructed podcast and we're gonna start a gambling podcast. All right. Any parting thoughts for LCI before we go here? Do you want to defend this format at all? No, I, I only have to de- I just need to balance you out. It's not like I love this format or anything, but I just got to got to temper the hatred a little bit for our, our listeners sake. No, I just wanted to, to look forward a little bit to, you know, next week we're going to do our our previews episode as usual, but they are not going to be doing an early access streamer event for Murders at Karlov Manor. And so our usual, you know, we're usually able to get in half a dozen drafts each in addition to our pre-release after that episode, after we do the crash course, which will be the following week. But I think then the week after, we're going to have to maybe figure out what to do. Maybe we'll talk cube a little bit. We'll we'll certainly report back from our pre-releases, but we won't have nearly as many reps to chat about the format yet post crash course that that episode will be a little different before we, you know, with our listeners, when the set releases on Tuesday on Arena and Magic Online when we'll get to, to really dive in with everybody. Yeah, it'll be a new challenge for us as content creators to tackle. 
Yeah. And I think for me, for this format, ultimately, what was surprising to me was, I, I don't know that we were, we might have been in the minority. I certainly was in the minority, I think, with how little I like this format. Like, if you look at, you know, there was a lot of end of year, mm-hmm. what did you think of the formats, like on Twitter or things like that? And and LCI pulled well, like on almost all of those things that I saw. So I certainly think one of the biggest takeaways for me, I, you could make a lot of the same criticisms that I made about Lost Caverns of Ixalan for Lord of the Rings. And mm. I love Lord of the Rings. Like you could say Lord of the Rings was out of balance. It was all ring tempting and it was like green was terrible. You know, you could only draft ring tempting decks or legends decks or whatever. And ultimately the difference between those two formats, like Lord of the Rings was way out of balance, but I loved everything about Lord of the Rings. Like I, I liked playing with those cards. I liked drafting those decks and I, I this stuff just didn't hit for me. And so you're going to like the formats where you like playing with the cards. And if you like Lost Caverns of Ixalan, certainly not taking anything away from you. You should like Lost Caverns of Ixalan. You should enjoy exploring. You should enjoy discovering. And I think it just didn't quite click for me. And I, I wish it had as a content creator. It's much easier to make content about <laughs> formats you love. But this one missed for me a little bit. We made it work. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you as always to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to CoolStuffInc.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over there for any purchases, and we highly recommend that you do, please use checkout code LOL to let them know we sent you over there. And more importantly, to get 5% off of anything you purchase on their website. You can find all of our content on our website at LordsOfLimited.com. You can find our merch. Ben's rocking his mad sweatshirt right now on YouTube. You can find links to our tier lists, our Patreon tiers, of course, uh, links to our backlog of episodes and links to our Twitch streams, as well as our YouTube channel. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. sometimes fire this off with only one creature in your yard and feel like whatever 75% of the time 60% of the time whatever I'm gonna hit a second creature on this and that felt good too what were you clacking about over there I was I thought it might have been mill three (laughs) sorry this is unbelievable (laughs) I'll never doubt you ever again yes you will it'll happen in this episode